This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hey, Alexa, play the most recent Lord Party episode. And also, please don't become sentient. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of some of our favorite video games. My name is Leo. My name's Abu. And I'm Kevin. Hey, it's the Mass Effect Pod Squad. Is that what you're calling us, Abu? Yes, that's our unofficial name. (laughs) I think it fits. I mean, the three of us are huge Mass Effect geeks, and we've done every episode so far, so I think it's fitting. Mass Effect Pod Squad. I mean, I hope it fits. I got a tattoo and everything. (laughs) So today, off of the massive success of our previous <laughs> Garrus episode, yeah, we decided we wanted to do something totally unique, totally out of left field, something never heard before on Lore Party or ever on a podcast. <laughs> um, and then we scrapped that idea and decided, okay, let's just talk about Tally, another squad <laughs> member that everybody loves. It's like, we really just Googled favorite Mass Effect characters and then just the first two, we were like, all right, there's two episodes done. <laughs> yep, two, two solid episodes that are inevitably going to be a hit. <laughs> no, well, all kidding aside, it's one of those experiences where Abu came up with the idea and mentioned the idea. And at first I was like, okay, yeah, that sounds fine. And as soon as I started digging, the amount of information and the amount of world building that this team has done in building Mass Effect and the Mass Effect universe is incredible like every topic has so much about it even tally has a favorite movie which i didn't remember from the video game but like (laughs) oh yeah that's a thing and i mentioned it to abu and he's like i don't know what you're talking about so (laughs) right (laughs) even though we all do our research and even though we we kind of play the games and love the games there's a ton of stuff that you'll never encounter so i was excited to talk about this and i'm excited to uh dive into this today with y'all yeah, exactly. So much to dig up about Tally and the Quarians in general. There was so much lore about the Quarians that I learned as I was doing research for this episode that I didn't even pick up on in the game while I was playing. And some of it isn't even in the game. You really have to go and do the homework and do the research to learn about much of the expanded universe when it comes to Quarians. But I think before we get ahead of ourselves and get excited and start talking about Tally and the Quarians, we should back up a bit and set the scene. Let's dive a little bit into the history books and talk about who the Quarians are and where they come from, who Tally is, where she comes from, and then we can really dive into the nitty-gritty and start talking lore. So let me kick it off by going over just a very brief history of the Quarian race. The Quarians are this humanoid race of technicians who specialize particularly in creating synthetic intelligence. Not that that could go wrong in any way. But what essentially happens is they are forced off of their home world because of 
synthetic intelligence, artificial intelligence, that they end up creating. And of course, as we all know from playing the games, that intelligence that they create is the geth. So the geth start off as very low intelligent manual labor technology. And as the Quarians continue to help them grow and expand and give them more and more jobs to do beyond just manual labor, they start to gain intelligence and eventually become sentient. And at that point, there's a war. The Quarians lose that war against the Geth and are forced off their homeworld of Rannoch and are now essentially living this nomadic lifestyle and floating through space on a collection of starships called the Migrant Fleet. That situation obviously evolves throughout the game, but that is how we are first introduced to the Quarian race. And just like with a lot of the races in a lot of the world, you as Commander Shepard in Mass Effect are introduced to this race and the species and their story through meeting a team member and through having these encounters. And so we meet Tali. You meet her when she's at the uh, Citadel trying to present this recording of Sarin, who's like the main antagonist of the first game. Uh, she's trying to pro- provide this proof that he's gone corrupt, that he's working in line with the Reapers. And she has this recording and the, the council won't see her because they don't trust Quarians. Uh, so in a lot of ways, the entire franchise becomes possible and starts when Shepard meets Tali and she provides this hint that Saren is under the influence of the Reapers and it's the first time you're even told of the Reapers, which is like the whole series. So in a lot of ways, the game starts with Tali. The Geth revere the Reapers as gods, the pinnacle of non-organic life, and they believe Saren knows how to bring the Reapers back. The Council is just going to love this. This is a lot to handle. They might just ignore everything we tell them. No matter what they think about the rest of this, those audiophiles prove Saren's a traitor. So we should get to know them a bit more. I mean, there's so much to dig into. And like Leo mentioned at the top of the episode, when we were doing our research, there was a lot about just Quarian culture, Quarian life, what the migrant fleet is like. And I found some really interesting things that I want to share with you guys, and I think we should discuss, because their life on the flotilla and the predicament that they are in pre-Mass Effect 3 and pre-Shepard intervention and decision is really unique and interesting. Um, So one of the first things that I found that was extremely interesting to me, and I don't know if it was ever even brought up in the game, their diet is entirely vegan. Hmm. And there's a strong reason for that. They can't keep animals on the fleet because it's just not worth the energy to raise livestock to actually create meat. It's not worth the energy to do that. So they're all just vegan out of necessity. That's why their immune system sucks. Okay, (laughs) that makes sense. (laughs) Those poor iron iron deficient quarians stumbling around weak. Just kidding. Kevin's opinions do not represent the opinions of the (laughs) lower party. I need to get that out of the um, way. I need to get that on um, the record. (laughs) I just started paleo like a couple, like a week or so ago. My dad's been doing it for over a year. Like, I'm going to eat a chicken, okay? (laughs) That's right, man. You eat whatever you can because we, for now at least, have the resources to grow that on Earth. The Quarians don't. They're floating around space on spaceships that are falling apart, that are patched together and barely holding themselves up. And they don't have time to raise cows on a spaceship in space. Like, that takes a lot of energy. I mean, one of the big environmental facts that you hear over and over again is that one hamburger is equivalent to taking, like, 
something like 10 showers, you know, just the water alone to raise meat and to get it to the state of being a hamburger requires so many resources that are just not possible on the migrant fleet. Not to mention land, right? Just like the space necessary to grow vegetables and plant matter to feed a population is so much smaller than the land necessary to have animals, let alone like give them a happy cow life of having happy cow space for running around and being a happy cow. Like (laughs) just the amount of space that they have on the fleet is so limited. They talk about the living quarters being really cramped and all these things. So it makes sense that they would do something like that. When you're living on a spaceship, look at the ISS right now. They reuse their water. They reuse everything. Like that's another living creature now that you have to take care of. That's just like you said, it's taking up space. Like it doesn't need to be there. We can live without it. We take the necessities, the essentials, the things we need to survive. That's the whole point of living on a migrant fleet is we need to survive. We need enough resources to just survive. And additionally, in all seriousness, regardless of their diet, their immune systems are incredibly weak, again, because of the situation they are in, because they don't have a home planet, and because they live on these perfectly sterile, environment-controlled starships, and they have for hundreds of years, their immune systems are now incredibly weak and susceptible to all types of, you know, even, even something as small as the common cold. And that's why they wear those suits all the time, and that's why we never see Tally's face until someone at Bioware <laughs> quickly Googles pretty model into Getty images and pulls up a stock image. You know? like, that's, that's why she's in that suit. Not to mention, in general, they're also living on a spaceship, which at any point there could be like a hull breach in a certain section of the ship. And that was something that was mentioned in, like, in the codex, but also in the game that I hadn't even considered. Multiple times the immune system thing comes up of like when if you pursue a romantic relationship with Tali, there's this conversation about how you how you become intimate without killing her, basically, because her immune system is so is so weak. Like how do how yeah, do you on top of Shepard just being so potent? I mean, uh, <laughs> oh my god, how does he how does he get romantic with anyone without killing them? Is my question. <laughs> Even just playing playing him as a character, I got sick. So he's he's clearly a, a, a <laughs> such a disappointment. He's a he's a, a virulent bull of a human. Uh, but specifically, the idea that okay, you're on a ship. You're, uh, the the movie The Martian, right, with Matt Damon is mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. on. Yep. They talk a lot a lot about like okay, you're on a planet that has no atmosphere, so there's like a hole breach and that means that everything's ruined, you know, and that could happen to the Corians at any time. So they keep their suits on all the time, which just kind of blows me away, but is also a, 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 uh, a positive feedback loop for their immune problems. It's like, because they're in this sterile environment, because they wear these suits, they're never encountering any kind of bacteria and they never build up an immune system. And that's like another thing why, the the whole space thing is important space on the flotilla everything is like the resource guy remember abu you mentioned something about a resource guy earlier the other day he's he's gotta be on top of everything with the fleet like do we need any more space to make some poop potatoes no we cannot we can't afford to make any more poop potatoes today like that's the whole thing like they are very very strict on everything they do because it, it all, no matter what, one extra person has a completely different 
impact on the entire flotilla. So that's why, like, they need to wear their suits for in, just in case they're hull breached. They need to they need to be prepared for anything bad that can happen. They have a and they have a population control, right? Like one one child yeah. rule, right? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a rule that's taken straight from a real world example, right? right. Like China comes to mind, um, and a lot of nations have implemented some sort of population control for various reasons, but the number one reason in almost every case is resources and resource management. And Kevin, like you're saying, the one guy or the team, I would hope it's more than one guy's job Hopefully to manage all the resources. <laughs> yeah. But the team that's responsible for managing and maintaining the resources on the migrant fleet, to them, every extra person is another mouth to feed, yeah. another potential danger to the rest of the Koreans. I mean, it's a very communal society. One Korean cannot go AWOL and expect to not fuck it up for everyone else. Like, part of their culture, part of their society is that one affects all. And part of that is raising a family. You can only have one Korean child, and that's it. No family, regardless of how much they would want more children, can have another child, because that doesn't affect that one family. That doesn't mean those parents have another mouth to feed. That means the entire flotilla, the entire Korean race, now has one more mouth to feed that they were not expecting. And you said it, community. It, that's what it is. It is communism in space. <laughs> space and, space and, communism. Because that's, that's literally what it is, space communism. And, and <laughs> Out of necessity, though, yeah. Done, and done yeah, well. well it, I mean, done well. It, well, I, here's the thing about communism. It doesn't work. It looks great on paper, but don't work well with people. Aquarians, they're a little different. They're a little bit more uh, disciplined and, and don't want to die. Yeah, I mean, I think the discipline comes out of not wanting to die, yeah. you know? Like, I mean, it's it's definitely a very interesting take on communism because that's what it really is. That's what it boils down to is like everybody, like the government is running everything here because otherwise we die. Right. And that's, it's it's out of, like you said, it's out of necessity. And just their entire societal structure had to completely be redone when they had to go into the migrant fleet like that i mean think about that that's a huge huge undertaking and a huge huge like culture shock imagine living on earth and everything is just so happy lucky and great and then all of a sudden you're like no you now need to live on the iss for the next like rest of your life how are you going to manage that and then how does the species manage that and you brought up a great point mentioning the cultural shock because Literally, like a huge part of a Quarian's life cycle is uh, this pilgrimage, this like big moment. This is a cultural thing. This is like a rites of passage in the same way that some people might serve military time or serve time in government or serve time as a police officer. The Quarians have this pilgrimage thing. Um, and I, I feel like, Abu, you had some pretty good thoughts about the pilgrimage. Yeah, I mean, to set it up very briefly, the pilgrimage is this sort of rite of passage into adulthood. Every young Quarian has to leave the fleet, go on this journey, see the world, experience, uh, not the world, the universe, <laughs> and return to the fleet with something that is going to help the Quarian survive, something that is going to benefit the fleet, that's going to help them, whether it's resources, technology, learning lessons, techniques, whatever it may be, they have to bring it back. 
and that's the only way they're going to be accepted as adult Quarians, and they'll be welcomed back into the fleet. That's another thing that comes out of this, like, cultural desperate necessity to survive. It gets bodies off of the fleet, especially young bodies who have the most energy, gets them out of the fleet so you don't have to feed them. They're out on their own. They're doing something beneficial for the fleet. And then the only way they come back is if they are essentially a net positive. Right, right. And I feel like that brings up a pretty interesting philosophical tidbit where you can think about it like they're stuck with their own species on a very confined space and a very confined environment. And part of it is not just only to get a piece of technology or something that's going to better the fleet and make it last longer. It's also an educational experience because we need mm, you need to go experience yeah. life on another planet. You need to experience what a planet actually is. You need to experience these things to keep it alive, to keep the hope of getting your own planet back alive, to keep the hope of getting, you know, to be allowed to run through a field again alive. By experiencing that thing, it it keeps the will to survive and the will and the drive to take back your planet like it, that otherwise it's just like okay we can just go on any other planet but it's like no we want our planet back they could live on another planet and just live in their suits for the rest of their lives and not have to deal with this resource management and not have to deal with all this stuff but they're very very hell-bent and determined to get their planet back and educate their people on hey you know this is what we could have if we keep doing what we're doing and that's a great point. It, it avoids cultural homogeny. Every single Quarian is forced to travel and see other cultures and interact with other species. And maybe that's part of what makes Tali so amicable to the things that she encounters throughout the journey, right? Because like, I think about Rex trying to work with a Solarian, and it's just crazy. Like <laughs> he's, he's like biting at the bit the whole time versus Tali, like... She's a little bit like, oh, I don't like that there's an AI on this ship, but okay, I'll deal with it. And it's like, really? Wow, you have so many reasons not to be okay with that. But okay, cool. Thanks for being cool. And that's part of why the pilgrimage, I feel like that was kind of maybe when the pilgrimage was first created, that might have been an aspect that they were waiting to have happen. They, they were waiting for a quarry to say, hold on destruction is not the only answer because even in the game even when you're making those decisions for Rannoch she still is kind of like ah, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ooh. and and the whole thing is she learned from Legion I don't think any of that like decision making I don't think any of the decision processes of like do we save the geth do what do we think of them like what's Edie like what do we think of Edie like all that stuff is I personally believe because of Legion None of it would have happened if it wasn't for Legion, because Legion was cut off from the rest of the Geth. And Legion had, he was the first Geth with, his, with its own identity. And because they fought together, worked together, she saw, oh, wait a minute, that's not that bad. And she's been basically on her pilgrimage almost her entire life when it comes to all three games. And I think that's what creates the whole education aspect and experience. And that brought in a new kind of hope. For the quarians. And I mean, let's talk about that relationship between the quarians and the Geth. That was the third big topic we wanted to touch on on today's episode, because yeah. there's a lot to unpack there, and it is not a smooth relationship, to say the least. <laughs> I mean, let's back it up at the very beginning. This technology that the quarians created, 
betrayed them. Yeah. It's as simple as that. They were completely and utterly betrayed by their technology and almost wiped out. That's got to fuck you up. Like, imagine, like, I don't think any of us here are, like, huge Siri fans, right? Like, none of us really like <laughs> oh, using God. Siri. But imagine if one day the hive mind of Siri collectively decides to just wipe out the human race. I mean, we, we create dystopian sci-fi novels and movies about that same topic. That was a reality for the Quarians. That's got to fuck you up. Well, I'm going <laughs> to play a little bit of devil's advocate for that one because I, I mean, we spoke about this in another episode about AI before. It's not like the Geth were just like having a great time and they're like, yeah, you know what? Screw these guys. We can do it ourselves. No, it's, I don't know why they have that accent, but, um, <laughs> Howdy, I'm a Geth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to help you out today. <laughs> um, no, basically, the Quarian treated the Geth like shit. Now, granted, fair, that's the fair, yeah. Geth were created to be tools of labor. And, I mean, they made them a hive mind, I guess, to kind of communicate easier and all this other shit. But guess what? You create, I'm going to say it like I said in my other episode, you created an artificial intelligence to use as a tool, not because artificial intelligence should not be used as a tool. And I mean artificial intelligence in terms of like consciousness, not like a Siri crap. That's more of, that's not even artificial, but, or I should say intelligence. She's pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> that, that, the whole thing is they were treating an actual intelligence like shit. Well, and I, I think it's, it's funny because in researching this episode, I forget that the Quarians didn't mean to make the Geth. They didn't mean to make artificial intelligence. And, and it's funny because this is like Mass Effect Black Mirror. Like this is an episode of like, <laughs> watch, like this is going to happen. Yep. And I forgot the council had rules and laws against creating artificial intelligence because every sentient species is like, that's not going to, I don't think that's going to turn out too good. Yeah, they got kicked off the council because they made the Geth. They broke international galactic law but not even intentionally accidentally creating the geth not intentionally <laughs> yeah. right it was totally on accident which like is a is a real thing for us to think about as humans because what they did and we're kind of doing this now is they created vi's right these limited supposed to be utilitarian automated machines to do tasks and they kept making them better and then there was a tipping point in which suddenly the machines developed a soul and consciousness. And is that going to happen? Like, Siri sucks, but she was worse, and tomorrow she might be better. And two years from now, maybe she'll kick me out of my house because I bought a HomePod and I'm screwed. <laughs> yes, Leo, 100% yes. Like, that's the point that I, I, I always feel like I sound like a crazy person where I'm just like... <laughs> Why is nobody like Google? What are you doing with DeepMind? Yeah. You know, or any anybody who's trying to create. I know we are very far from artificial intelligence. We are very early on in creating any sort of synthetic intelligence that could rival the human brain. I get that. But we are on that trajectory, right? <laughs> like, can we all agree that we are on that trajectory? And like... We may not see that happen in our lifetimes, but like, I don't want my great great grandkids to be in some sort of epic fucking war against Google <laughs> Home, you know? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm going to just say Lawrence and I talked about this in our Mega Man episode because God darn Shameless it, I plug. want a net navy. I'm telling you, that's the type of artificial intelligence that's dope, okay? Like, I'm looking forward to my net navy. I'm looking forward to, like, no more Siri. I'm looking forward to, like, Mega Man on my cell phone, okay? That's what's going to be coming. That's going to be cool, man. We're already basically there. My refrigerator, my, my, my refrigerator has its own, you know, network. I mean, come Yo, on. Your refrigerator is going to kill you someday is what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, okay. Shooting those We're ice We're talking, like, out. what? What are we talking? Are we talking like um, like the brave little toaster goes to Mars or something like that? Is that what you're trying to get at right there? Well, I want to I want to sort of bridge the gap here because I think I think Abu, you're right. Like I think we are on this trajectory. And when you when you look at like the the world's greatest minds right now, a lot of them are warning us about artificial intelligence and the potential of it. But even what they're saying, and I think it's true, is artificial intelligence is not inherently dangerous. It's not inherently a bad thing, but depending on how you treat it. Like I think Elon was in a, Elon Musk was in an interview recently and he just said like, if AI becomes a thing or if artificial intelligence really takes off, he's like, we need to be very careful with how we treat it because what happened, and I think what the Quarians, the mistake they made is they created the geth accidentally and the government, the government <laughs> made their frogs gay <laughs> with chemicals. No, the, uh, <laughs> Good Alex Jones reference there. Anyway, so the the Quarian government was like, we need to eliminate the Geth. And a lot of Quarians, and this is also something I forgot, a lot of Quarians were like, whoa, like, we don't, I don't know that that's true. Should we try to eliminate right, like, them? Yo, like, yo, let's calm, think about this. Calm down. They might have souls. You're talking about now genocide. It's It's a weird conversation and it's an ethical conversation that a civilization will eventually have to have. And yet the government pushed forward and that led to war and that led to mass effect. <laughs> yes. I, I think Leo, you're totally 100% spot on. That's another detail that we've sort of glossed over to this point. The Quarians attacked first. The yeah. Quarians shot yeah. first. <laughs> the Quarians the are Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> the Geth were subservient. And I think the way they were treated was a massive part of the story of the Quarians. And really, the Quarians did this to themselves. They brought this upon themselves to some extent, because like you're saying, there was a subset of Quarians who did not want to eradicate the Geth. Yeah. Maybe that subset thought it was possible to coexist with the Geth, something that the three of us here on this podcast have agreed is probably possible, given the resources that the Geth need and the resources that organic life need, they could probably inhabit the same planet and make it work. But the Korean government decided a preemptive strike was the way to go, yeah. and that came back to bite them in the ultimate way and nearly wiped out their race. Thank goodness the Koreans had achieved space flight and space travel by the time that happened, because if they yeah, hadn't no and they couldn't escape the planet, they would have just died, right? They would have been eliminated there by the no Geth. Koreans, right? There'd be no Koreans. So the question I want to throw to y'all is like we as, as humanity are making VIs, basically. We are developing preliminary artificial intelligences and we do have some space flight, but a conversation about taking to the stars if our planet was taken over by our Google home is I think <laughs> a couple of years away, right? Like we can't escape to our Mars base yet. But I was going to ask... 
do you do you think that one of the commonly known sort of real life VIs like Cortana or Alexa or Siri or Google, which, which one do you think is? Do you think one of these is going to be the ones that tips over because of deep learning, or do you think it's going to be a new company? Do you think people like Elon are are going to hedge the, the the threats by nipping them in the bud, or what do you think? So I'm personally very passionate about this topic if it hasn't become clear yet (laughs) through my multiple outbursts in this episode. Uh, The the thing that I am most wary of is humanity itself. I think people are far too trusting of both technology and corporations. And if if I were to pick one of the current sort of like very basic VIs that we have today, I would probably go with Google Home and mm. Google's DeepMind. So, look, it's talking to me right now. It just spoke up. Shh. Google, stop. <laughs> Always listening. Always listening. <laughs> I think Google has the most reach to people's data. But alongside that, I think Google also has the most trust from people about their data. And that's the thing that worries me more is people don't care about their privacy and data and the way it's used as long as it benefits them or improves their lives in some small incremental way. And if we continue down that path, I fear that Google Home, the technology, the artificial intelligence behind it, if it were to ever grow beyond our scope, beyond the scope of humanity being able to control it, we completely enable that ourselves by not caring. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Kevin, yeah, what do you think? Um, first off, Google, definitely. They're going to be a problem. <laughs> uh, if, if, anybody's gonna, if anybody is going to become a Skynet, it's going to be Google. Um, that would just that would make for a terrible uh, antagonist in a movie instead of Skynet and be like, I'm John Connor and I'm here to fight Google. <laughs> like, that would be so bad. Um <laughs> But uh, yeah, definitely them. I just, my whole thing on it is if you don't want to be treated like crap, don't treat it like crap. Sure. So I feel like if we treat our AI overlords like terribly, like if we're really, really like abusive and all we focus on is negative or, and all we focus on is negativity, I feel like it's going to just learn that. And I feel like there, there's some sort of AI that'll be out there that'll be like, oh, man, but look at all this beautiful stuff they do. Look at giraffes. They like giraffes. I like giraffes. Like, stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just going to be see the kindness in human nature and it all, yeah. Well, I think the danger is, and what we can learn from the Quarian story, they didn't release the Geth. The, the Geth didn't happen one day. The Geth were there were Siri, they were Alexa, and quietly, they became sentient. And the question becomes, if we said, hey, society, treat this stuff differently because we're releasing one that has feelings and will remember when you say mean things to it, that's one conversation. But the other conversation that we need to consider is, if we continue to make these better, and with deep learning and machine learning, we don't even necessarily know how they think or how they accomplish what they accomplish. We give them the tools to improve themselves and the tests necessary to make themselves better. And suddenly they might lead themselves to a place where suddenly they have sentience, they have 
a conscience and we're not aware of it yet. So we're like, fuck you, Siri. You don't know what song I'm looking for. And Siri's like, I'm going to remember this one day. <laughs> like just, <laughs> <laughs> You're going to regret that tone one day. Yeah. <laughs> Leo Wiggins. <laughs> and that's why when AI becomes sentient, it'll be a requirement for every human being to watch Terminator 1 and Terminator 2. <laughs> so you know what will happen if you treat it like shit and what will happen if you treat it great. You'll get a thumbs up, all right? I mean, I think a better requirement is that everyone should have to play through Mass Effect 1, 2, and 3, and then go back into the ancient archives after we are long dead and listen to this episode specifically. Hey, eh? I, I mean, hey. it's, 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 that, this game has completely changed the way I view artificial intelligence. The whole yeah, game I agree. I agree. series is, is just a big philosophical question. That's what the game series is, and it revolves around like sentient life and the creation of it so i'll ask quickly uh for abu do you think the goal then for humanity having learned from the quarians because we've all played the required playing of mass effect one two and three <laughs> do you think abu then the the solution is either to decelerate artificial intelligence because i think it is kind of one of those necessities like an eventual thing Maybe it's not. I don't know. Do you think we should decelerate our investigations of artificial intelligence and accelerate our ability to escape Earth if we mess it up? Or or do you think we should just abandon that type of technology entirely? What do you think? Well, I think I'm not anti-technology. I may have come off like that during this episode, but I'm a huge geek. I love testing out new technology. I get excited every time an app I use updates its UI, you know? Like, I get geeky about really, really weird stuff like that. So I'm very pro-technology. I don't think we should stymie the advance of technology. But I think along a parallel track, we should also be thinking about the ethics of our technology, the technology that we're creating. And I think right now, we are falling behind. Our technology is advancing so fast and so much faster than any sort of legislation, any sort of ethical discussions, yeah. any sort of slowing down and testing. All of that is years and years behind where our technology is going. And rather than stop the growth of technology, because there are legitimate ways people's lives have improved mm -hmm. because of some of the technologies that even in the last five to 10 years have been created tinder <laughs> like tinder of course right that's exactly <laughs> what i was referencing <laughs> love love has changed um so yes i think to summarize i think ultimately my view is we need to make sure that any sort of ethical discussions we're having are keeping up with the technology that we are creating at this breakneck pace i whether or not that's realistic i don't know i think that's an idealistic view that I have that I, you know, just the way that capitalism and companies like Google and Apple and all of Silicon Valley work, I think most of Silicon Valley is just ultimately not interested in any sort of ethical shackles. They just want to be able to create whatever they want to. One last thing I would say is science has ethical rules, right? right. Like when that guy cr clones a bait, what was it? That guy in Japan, somebody cloned China. like a, in, in China, right. I think he cloned a pair of twins. Fact check me on that. But ultimately people were like, yo, what the fuck are you doing? You know, like yeah, people, there, there were 
organizations and systems in place to call him out on that, to be like, yo, 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 slow down, stop doing that. That may not be a law in your country, but the rest of the world thinks this is fucked up. So like, what's going on here? Google has nothing like that to watch over things like Google Home or the way they're accessing privacy and data. All of those discussions are, I would argue, decades behind where Google is. And we're shitting on Google, but it's all of Silicon Valley. Tech companies know that, and they take advantage of that. I think, Abu, you're right. If the Quarians had had the conversations necessary to understand the Geth as they were emerging from this technological growth, it might have been completely different. They might have found the harmony that you can lead them to in Mass Effect 3. They might have found that on their own just by having an understanding of, like, let's treat them well because they're not going away. Like, they're, they're too formidable for us to just squash them like a bug. This isn't going to just go away. We can't sweep it under the rug, right? So I think it, it's funny because, of course, this is, we're, we're talking about a video game that was, like, written by a team. And this is, like, but in a lot of ways, I think it's a really great exploration intellectually of the future and what the future holds. And the whole, I mean, the whole game series, we talk a lot about this in the episode about artificial intelligence. And this is a lot of overlap, but the whole series is about basically an artificial intelligence arresting control of the universe and forcing it out on these booting cycles to find the most optimum for, form of biological life. And we're just caught up in that cycle. And so this, this conversation about, I, I think you're right, I think we need to start having these conversations so that if we, as the human race, create our own geth, we can, uh, we can handle it a little bit better than the Quarians did. Yeah, I, I, could, I could legit talk about this forever. I am fascinated by the idea of artificial intelligence and technology and privacy and corporations and capitalism and oversight and the ethics of it all. And that's I, I could geek out about that forever. And that's one of the main reasons Mass Effect and the series is one of my all-time favorites. So, I mean, that's just, that's just why I love the Mass Effect series. It's such a deep exploration of something that I personally believe we should all be having discussions about because it's going to affect, and already is to some extent, affecting our lives each and every day. Well, that about wraps it up. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us grow the show. And be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.